Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing the 12th of August. I'm going to start with a little song, I think. What's that coming out of the field? Is it a monster? Yes, it's a monster. Now, I don't expect to get any recording uh, offers for that or for my singing, but let's face it, the size of the spring barley crop and the size of the wheat crop in my little corner of the world is incredibly big, which is creating a number of issues, even for people who think they've got more storage than they need. So I suspect there is going to be a lot of angst and shouting in the next week or two as the last bits of the grain have to be shoehorned into various corners and sheds. And yeah, it's, it is going to be a bit grumpy depending on what the weather does. So aside from my lovely singing, I think the first thing I want to talk about is the biggest and most pressing issue on my mind this morning, which is the pre-germ issue in spring barley. The weather has been stop-start, and even grain that farmers are convinced is perfect, oh, it's in before the rain. Uh, which rain was that? We're, we're kind of debating the one on Wednesday or the one on Monday or the one on Saturday, and it wasn't fit, so it can't be wrong. Well, I'm afraid that isn't quite how the crop ripens and it isn't quite how it works. It's a bit like a silent killer in the sense that if you tested the germ at this point, it would be viable, but in eight months' time, it won't be because it's, it's effectively started the process of germinating and it's gone a little bit too far. And therefore, when it actually gets to the moment when it needs to be used, it will be dead. It will be dormant for the next four, five, six, seven, eight months. And by the time they re- revisit it, that little parcel of starch won't turn to sugar in the steep. So there's going to be an issue, and it's a nightmare for storekeepers. So we're just debating on how we handle that. I mean, we've got to physically handle a crop. We, we, you know, we're judging it as best we can. Some of them are obviously gone or, or split or what have you, but we've, we're absorbing stuff which we know is in, in certain places in the bins. We, we're, we're allocating to ones we're not so certain about. So it is a problem for us, and I think there will be plenty more to be said. I think the real balanced mind on that will say, let's wait five, six, seven, eight weeks, see what the Scottish crop comes like, see what the north of England's like, see how you know, we've got a very clear picture that the night regions over in this part of the world are good, the night regions in the Midlands and down south are high, and it's not all as fantastic a crop as everybody like to think. So on the malting barley front, in terms of price, really distressed, I can't move it type grain, uh, I've been told is, is moving at about 130x farm. It's a dramatically lower price than pre-harvest contracts. I'm afraid it's going to be more of the same for the next few days. It's, it's not very easy easy to find somewhere for it to go. People who own storage on their own farms or have got pre-arranged storage at central stores or have got somewhere definitely guaranteed where they can send it to are covered, but it's the guys who haven't or the surplus tonnage that's proving to be a problem. So the price is is rather on the floor, bearing in mind that feed barley is trading at about 120-21x, so it's a very small premium for malting barley at this moment. Mines will change when there's nothing moving from farm and there isn't such a wave of it coming forward. So Yeah, if you haven't got to sell it this precise second, possibly hold. The only caveat to that is if the whole of the north of England and Scotland comes home with a fantastic crop, then I'm afraid the price is just going to go down anyway. There's going to be too much of the stuff. 
exporters is expected to be good as we race towards getting stuff out of the country before Brexit. So malting barley, there could be between 100 and 150,000 tonnes exported, which is good, really good. It's still not going to clear the surplus, but it's a great start. And feed barley, the feed barley boats are going out every single day from just about every port. So the estimate is for about 400,000 tonnes of feed barley to have been exported by the dreaded Brexit date as well. So we should have half a million tonnes of barley out of the country, which will be a big help, not leaving us piles of barley everywhere. So feed barley, as I've said, 120x, malting barley 130x, depending on what you've got. Let's move on to oilseed rape. Um, The harvest in this little corner is just about over or is over. The guys that have cut it are getting into the stores. I mean, it hasn't been such an issue to find space. The crop yield has been poor, as we all know, in most cases. So the market is trading in the 320s. It's either now a case of take the money or agree a storage deal. And, and when you add £10 to it and later payment, sometimes that never works. So, so it's a case of decide or not. Moving on to feed wheat or wheat, um, as I've said in my, in my little song. It's a really good crop, really big crop. Uh, interestingly, the protein levels are lower on feed wheats. I mean, obviously, milling wheats, if you chase protein and put the, the nitrogen on at the right time, you you can target where your protein level is. But feed wheats, whether it's about yield, um, I think the consumer is going to be adding protein to their grist this year. It's about 1% lower protein than last year's averages, which is indicative of a big-sized yield. We, at the moment, are seeing spot prices are, are holding up because a number of people have got stores to fill and there's a boat or two going to be about with the, with the Brexit rush. That means that there will be competition off and on for feed wheat. I think at the tail end of harvest, when the barns get full, I think there could be a period where the price hits its weakest moment. In the short term, I don't see it dropping that much more. That's subject to the USDA report coming out on Monday evening, or this evening, if you're listening to it on the Monday, with a very, very bullish or bearish report. There's a real flip of the coin on that one, on the corn plantings. So at this point in time, feed wheat delivered into a store for a movement that day, you'll get £134 a tonne. X farm for the whole of August, if you're comparing like with like prices, where people are moving it sometime in the next two or three weeks, you probably get 130x. Um, but it won't go this week or next probably. And then September is a jump up to 133x. I see that eroding as we get uh, on in August and there's still some wheat to be cut. Uh, And then October 136x. That one might become a bit more competitive with the fact there's more boats sold in October than usual and people are ramming wheat out of the country. Um, It might actually end up trading at parity with November. But it's um, relatively low prices. We've had some dramatic price drops in the last few weeks. The French are coming down. A lot rests on what the USDA report says. The trade have estimated that uh, the planting figure in the USDA report last time was overstated. I think that's everyone's accepted that. There's an, an anticipation of a lower acreage and there's an anticipation of a lower yield. But the USDA have a history of being a little bit cautious uh, and they may put their correct figures out in September. Either way, it could be a very violent movement on Monday with the market getting the the fresh information about how many tonnes of corn are expected. With that in mind, underlyingly, whichever way that market goes on Monday, I think the UK will be struggling to gain in price, even with a weak pound, with the size of the crop that's coming forward and the number of places it can take it. We shall see. Anyway, uh, I hope it's sunny all this week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Harvest 2019 is here. 
Give your grain a better chance of making the grade. Dewing Grain, for immediate movement and fair treatment. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning I've got with me Ed Savory. Good morning, Ed. Good morning. And I've got uh, Webmeister with us as well to ask some intelligent questions. Now, Ed works for Burkitt's. What's the key things that you do at Burkitt's, Ed? I'm a partner in our corporate team in Norwich, and the predominant amount of my time is spent advising on mergers and acquisitions, so primarily helping local businesses exit, so advising the sellers, and also advising businesses on expansion, some by franchising, some by other means. And I also spend a fair amount of time focused on the food sector in particular. And you also, you, you have in the background a family farm, which you don't spend any time on the combine. Correct. My father and uncle own a small farm near Cantley in <sighs> South Norfolk. And you're right, Andrew, I do not know how to drive a combine harvester. <laughs> no, we, we, the reason, Cantley, I've had to bring that up because you own the field across the road from our grain store and we haven't managed to get you to buy any space yet so no pressure well i'm not sure you've really tried hard enough yet but watch this space i suspect well i'm so determined to get that in i'll be grown up succession we've been talking about the last few weeks what um what do you bring to the party so we spend a lot of time advising clients uh, many of which are farming businesses who through the generations have now got multiple shareholders often in multiple generations and perhaps the shareholding or ownership has become too wide so we look to unlock the issues potentially by finding exit routes often for the minority or less interested shareholders and also ways to potentially split out or reorganize the company so that it becomes more tax efficient both currently and potentially for future around inheritance tax planning. I'm guessing that's quite a lengthy process. I mean, probably a lot of farmers, I'd guess, would maybe give it a last-minute thought. I mean, how much planning does it need? You're right. It can be a lengthy process. And the tendency is that families don't tend to seek advice soon enough. My view is that once they start to seek advice, the process starts to roll out. And it can be several years, and it's really an ongoing process. But I'm always saying to people, just come and have a conversation, and often it starts to ease that tension. No, I think, I mean, we've seen it amongst our customer base and there have been some unfortunate events that have happened within families and it's sort of sprung on people. So it's definitely something to consider. Yeah, yeah, often the trigger event is a key member dying or a double death in a family, which is unexpected. And whilst you can't always plan for every eventuality, if you have a plan and you're ready, it tends to make it much more, I'm not saying enjoyable, but durable and provides a great future for the no, business. Your other key role, we were talking about it, is you're involved with the food sector, which is obviously a key role and responsibility. Obviously something where our heart is. What's your involvement there? Can you just chat us through what you kind of principally do? I head up Burkitt's food sector, which is very wide, but I frame that as being the industry. So after field and before fork. During the field is the agricultural sector, so looking after farming and agricultural businesses that are effectively harvesting, cultivating, growing, cropping. And then where I come in is all those businesses that then manufacture uh, and produce food of all shapes and sizes before it either ends up on the plate or on the shelves. And then that's in our retail sector and tourism and hospitality sector. And are you seeing a current trend within the sector? So we're seeing 
a huge amount of very successful small businesses growing up in East Anglia, in particular Norfolk and Suffolk, uh, which is extraordinary for the region and a real PowerPoint. And one of the things that strikes me is the sophistication with which these businesses are knowing their market and getting to the retailers and understanding that it's not just about producing great food and making it look pretty, it's where you find your market. For example, uh, you've got Saversmith's Crisps, based in Cambridgeshire, formed off the back of a potato-producing family. They've just struck a huge deal over in the US. And so as well as exporting or selling their produce through Fortnum and Masons and Waitrose, they're seeing real growth in foreign markets, rather than just pumping volume out through the supermarkets and looking for high-volume, low-margin Businesses being a so bit quite a lot of these coming from farm diversification models, and you talk about the, the crisp producer there. Is that quite a common theme? I'm not sure it's common, but it's certainly something farming businesses look at, and it's very attractive, especially in the example I talked about earlier, where you've got multiple generations and several sons or daughters, and someone wants to develop a distinct business, but do their own thing. So it's a great add-on, and it's a, it can potentially future-proof that business. Is there an issue with... When it gets to a certain size and it needs to then, you know, increase the numbers of staff involved, so it's not the individual managing every moment, how do you help them through that process? Yeah, that is a challenge. Like all startup businesses, normally the founders sort of are doing everything, but as it grows, they do need to find more resource. So we will assist with putting in place standard form employment contracts, uh, employee and staff handbooks and all the policies and procedures that go in place and just starting to help and support a business as it becomes a bit more grown up. We went through that process and we kind of, you know, did it ourselves after lots of hard work and we still aren't completely there. We, we try very hard to get everything up to date. You tend to avoid a, a solicitor if you can because of the cost, but is it, is it more cost effective? Of course I'd say yes it is more cost effective, but I've got a vested interest. I always say to clients... We want to have a relationship where you always want to pick up the phone to us and you're not worried or in fear of the fees. You understand the value we're adding. If we're not getting that relationship right, it needs to be worked on. When you're a small business and it's just you and then you and another person, you are, you are frightened of the fees inevitably because every cost you, you can't. With the benefit of hindsight, there's a number of things I did myself and spent my time on which I'd have, I'd have made more money spending time on the things I was good at as opposed to messing around trying to understand contracts. With hindsight, yes, there were certainly it would have been cheaper that way round. That's true, but there are a lot of things you can do as an early stage which are cost-neutral or free where you don't need to seek formal professional advice. And it's also focusing on or prioritising the advice you do need. And, we are, and I spend a lot of time with young businesses trying to help them not spend money so they can spend it on looking off their cash flow, for example. I'm just thinking, Andrew, you got a really good, cheap deal with my first ever employment contract. It was a handshake over a pint in the uh, Black Boys in Aylesham. Major cost saving for the business there, I think. And here you are, how much longer, longer <laughs> later? <laughs> how much is minimum wage now? <laughs> when a, a young business gets to a certain size, and there's another young business two villages away that's, that's not that dissimilar, and they're, they're going to the same distribution points. Do you get involved in saying, well, by the way, there's someone over there who goes to the same delis as you all the time, or the same supermarkets? It's a great point, because there are lots of businesses that have similarities. We don't tend to get involved in that process. What tends to happen is there's a lot of communication between the businesses. And what I love is a lot of the sector is very communicative and actually very friendly, and they share a lot of information. Not dissimilar to a lot of the agricultural sector. Everyone's competing, but they also want to protect themselves and work Mm. together. So there's a sort of solidarity, which you also see particularly in things like the brewing industry as well. Yeah, well, because we've got a little experience of it. We've got crush all seeds, and we've got 
next door now is Candy Chutney. She moved into the shed next door. So distribution in the van is simple. They, you know, they, they share the space. The opportunity for small producers of something that isn't identical to your product joining in saves masses on, on distribution. Driving around in a van is cost-halved. Yeah, agreed. And it's just having for the producers to have their eyes open and look at those synergies. But that's often the start of where mergers and companies end up combining and one buys out the other because they realise that actually the sum of the parts would be better together operating under one business rather than two or three. I often come across businesses and you, you introduce one to another and you try to facilitate conversations. And one of the big themes we see is entrepreneurs of startups are often very lonely and they feel quite isolated and they don't know how to penetrate the market. Whereas, like yourselves, we're in the service sector. We spend our lives talking, meeting, you know, understanding and penetrating networks. So we're used to it. And that's a huge value add. And that's something particularly we focus on around the Future 50 which is uh, we, we're involved with via the EDP, is getting those, those really fast-growing, exciting companies, opening doors for them. And opening doors in Norfolk is really easy if you know where to open them. What is Future 50? Future 50 is an ongoing project supported by Archant, Burkitt, Barclays, Lovell Blake and the UEA and the LEP Growth Hub. And it's around putting a platform together for the fast, exciting companies in the region. So those businesses that are looking to show growth and it is a program of events to inspire, give a catalyst to change and acceleration. And the businesses that have come through that, you will know like, we may know very successful local business like Epos Now, like LiftShare. Do they get access to free advice or meetings or what? Uh, there's mentoring, there's ongoing access to advice. I'm never a big fan of free advice, <laughs> but I would say that. But again, if you're not paying for it, I'm not sure how... You know, how much value there is in it. The real thing is getting access to advisors who are right for them or influencers or people who may be able to connect them in the right way. You mentioned connections in Norfolk. It's easy to open doors. I mean, there's, there's about 10 people who control the universe, isn't there? As long as you know one of them, you're fine. I think it's actually nine. Uh, but, <laughs> but yes, no, you're right. As a rule, people are very friendly, and especially if you have local connections. Mm. Uh, you have to, I think you have to live in Norfolk for at least 25 years to be somewhere near. Yeah. local and there is this there, 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 there continues to be a scepticism of outsiders although I do think that's that is changing but people are generally very friendly and very helpful and, and they're cousins as well <laughs> yeah they're all related obviously <laughs> that's why you gave Webby a job right <laughs> so Ed what we normally do um, and as it's the middle of harvest we um, we have a little taster of beer I, I hope you don't mind having a sip fantastic um, and you have to have given an opinion on it we've got the aptly named Harvest Pale it's from Castle Rock Brewery who bought this beer it's from somewhere up north isn't it it's one of them northern types at this point I do have to declare my conflicts my wife works for Adnams so if I give this beer anything more than a 1 out of 10 uh, I will have an unhappy marital no, no. home listen Adnams are a fabulous company because the, um, a large slice of their barley uh, comes via Holcomb Estate, which comes via us. We put together a group for a brewer a few years ago who did a deal with Adams, and so all of their distilling barley and all of uh, lots of their beer comes via us. So we we're very fond of Adams, and and for and for the record, my favourite beer. I run risk of upsetting Alan Riddell here with Humberdusi beers, but um, my favourite beer is a pint of Adams in Southwold. Very nice. Not the ghost ship, which is really taking off, or really has taken off, actually. Yeah, it's 4.5 and 3.6. It's, you know, lightweight versus... thought you were more of a broadside man. (laughs) (laughs) Nelson's Revenge, that's Woodford's, isn't it? Anyway, let's let's crack that open, Webby. 
Right, a good old Nottingham ale. So what do we think, lads? Nice on the nose. Ian? Yeah, it's not that great. I wouldn't go back for a second, I don't think. A funny tang on the tongue. It's just left me. It's not my usual breakfast beer, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You should be a grain trader. (laughs) No, it's uh, it is a bit of a you know a bit of a burden we have to carry for our for our podcast. It's the it's the theme that everybody loves, really. I'm just interested because Webby's now he, Webby's now poured that on his cornflakes. <laughs> is that better now with cornflakes, Webby? <laughs> he puts the slow gin on top for the sugar. Yeah, no, it's it's um, yeah, it's the way it is. I'm afraid it gets you like that in the middle of harvest. Um, talking of harvest, I mean, have you have you been back to HQ and seen what the what they're doing on the farm? Are they yeah, because I live in the middle of the farm, so the winter barley uh, came up, well, easily harvested, less, less uh, said the better about the quality, I'm afraid, and uh, the spring barley looks very good, and we have still got quite a lot of wheat to cut, and I think this weather is now going to torment the farmers over the next couple of weeks as we get wet and dry and windy weather, but I hear things are looking good in certain quarters with some fantastic yields frustratingly from one of our very good friends but we better not say anything more no, about that yields are good i'm sure they're, they're good um you know where you live the reality is I, th- I think the weather's okay as long as you've got somewhere where you can drive you you haven't got to mess around waiting forever i mean that one of the problems with farmers and a wet harvest is they, they wait for it to be 15 percent moisture to save themselves thruppence on the drying charge and in in if it has started to germinate it has started to deteriorate the yield loss they get over a short period of time with the kilo weight dropping because the, 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 each individual grain is losing weight in the process is far greater than any moisture claim they'd ever pay but I'm afraid the focus is always on pounds per tonne and not on actual understanding the dynamics of the yield of it so if it is a snatch harvest then let's hope the people who've invested in storage and drying get, get the benefits of it. It's interesting you say that because that's exactly the same in a different way we see in all, a lot of business clients. The successful ones really understand their business, understand the importance of cash flow, really understand how they're making money and make changes. And we see businesses that struggle, especially the smaller ones, they, they spend too much time looking at the wrong things. And, and a lot of them are, you know, can be busy fools. And I'm not saying your farming clients no, are no. busy fools. If you produce something or if you anything in business, you cannot have an obvious pitfall in front of you that, that could happen every single year that you don't deal with. You can't rely on other people. If it, if it turns into a bumper, bumper harvest where there's no space left for the guy who's actually invested in storage, he says, I'm sorry, I can't combine for another two weeks because I've, I just can't cope with all my own stuff and I haven't got any space in my shed, then I'm afraid... It's your fault. It's not his fault. It's your fault. Early stage investment is so often. You know, yeah, re- don't allow yourself to have a pitfall. That, that's also a theme we see in farming businesses. See, the ones that accelerate forward tend to have the energy from the younger generations. And I apologise to the older listeners, but you often see that... Maybe looked at me funny then. You, like are, like you often see the bravery with the, with the youngsters, and we see that in all of our clients, whereas a lot of people who, who get old, they, they become less prepared to change and, and less prepared to take the risk. And as soon as that mindset steps in, the wise ones tend to step down or step to the side and realise they need young influence. And, you know, I know that's why you brought Webby into this business. Exactly. Well said, Ed. Have you got any good examples? I do a lot of work in our family for family businesses, and I was up in York at the family business conference. I went to a presentation by a family called the Millers who have a fish and chip shop in 
the outskirts of York, and the son was a session drummer, decided to come back to the business because he realised all the changes that need to be made. He wrote down about 20 things on a piece of paper, gave them to his dad. His dad said, yeah, I know all those things can be changed, but you know, we'll get around to them one day. But all these things were little. They were simply you know, putting the sign back up straight. They were redoing the menus. So he came and did all those changes. And then he said, look, we need to change the people or we're going to change the people, which is a common theme you see in business. And they did actually have to change quite a lot of the staff, so a bit of a turnover. And the business just went from strength to strength. They put another fryer. They were able to produce fish and chip shops for every type of uh, food allergy for all people. They realized it was actually halal friendly, so they took the fish and chip van to break fast with um, the Muslims at the mosque, which was at a time when there's quite a lot of racial tension in that area of the country. They went over to Norway to go on a trawler boat to understand what line fishing is all about, and they have a video in their fish and chip shop. And the message for me was they have such passion about their business. They share their story. They share the journey. They explain where their chips are they know the exact field where the chips are grown and they're cut on site so that they bring no mud and minimal wastage in and all their packaging is also entirely recyclable although it looks like polystyrene and you know what they're the best fish and chip shop in the country they're small business of the year and they're flying and their customers absolutely love them and I have to say I was listening to them and I, I tell the story because I think it's just a great message for businesses that is a, that is a really good story and, and, and back to your point about youth coming in I, I, my mentor Ivan Bishop used to say when you're in your 20s you run through a wall without noticing the wall when you're in your 30s you, you might notice the wall but you still run through it when you're in your 40s you're starting to look for the cracks in the wall or perhaps places that look a bit weak that you might be able to push through and by the time you're in your 50s you're you know you're buying ladders and anything or you know getting someone else to use a bulldozer to make the path a bit clearer and what's it like at your age Andrew I'm more, much more considered now than I ever was and and that happens to every single person in business that's why you've got to embrace the youngsters and the millennials and the generation Z because if you don't you're missing out and they've got great things to bring to the party they don't none of us know all the answers but the fun we have in our team but with the youngsters coming in with ideas and changing things and challenging us and introducing us to new ways of thinking makes everything so much better how, how do you break it to the youngsters that that particular idea is a dim one you let them find that out for themselves because they normally run with it for a while uh, and then it starts to go sideways but also nothing ventured nothing gained and you have to explore opportunities and also what a client of mine always describes as positive disagreement you don't always have to agree with something but you get behind it and if it doesn't work you ditch it and you don't go oh i told you so you just say that doesn't work and you move on i I really enjoy saying i knew i was right (laughs) how many times a day do you say that? every day all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah until tessa's here and then it's never (laughs) anyway i think we'll we'll wrap it up there ed thank you so much for coming in I've, I've, i've enjoyed that Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.